0: Hello, everyone. You are listening to Miami Total Football Radio, a.k.a. Miami Total Football Radio, the number one and most listened to Inter-Miami podcast, providing you all the latest news, updates, analysis, opinions, inside information, general punditry, and much more. We have been listened to in more than 50 countries, 50 50 países, and counting my name is Franco Penizo. I am one-third of your co-hosting team. Sadly, the other two-thirds are not present this week. However, we have someone who is more than ready and able to fill in for them, like Jose Armando. He is Honduran, though there's no relation there. He goes by the name of Miguel Paz, one of the media members that has been attending Inter-Miami games regularly this season, his name in English would be Michael Peace. But since we're actually going by his real name, it's Miguel Paz. Miguel, thank you so much for joining Miami Total Football Radio. How are you doing today?
1: Hey, man, I'm doing pretty good. Something else, I'm not related to Jose. He's a Motavo fan. I'm an Olympia fan, so like we don't like each other either. But <laughs> it's all cool, you know. Uh, but yeah, Franco, it's been it's an honor, you know, to be here in Miami Total Football Radio show. So yeah, let's get ready, man.
0: Yeah, we have a lot to discuss, although we don't have a game to preview because Inter-Miami is off on a three-week break from matches due to the international calendar and the FIFA windows that are coming up. So, no game to preview, but still plenty to talk about, including this past weekend's 2-1 victory over the Portland Timbers. Now, if you guys want to hear from Miguel Paz, on, other than this week's show, you can follow him at on Twitter at...
1: Miguel Paz or 421. You guys can follow me there on Twitter. I'm really active during the uh, Inter-Miami game. I just have my YouTube channel. The a little plug here, Franco. It's called Miguel Paz TV. So, yeah, you can see all my content related to Inter-Miami in my YouTube uh, channel.
0: That's where you can hear some of his good opinions, some of his analysis, and some of his bad opinions. Because we've discussed at length in the press box as of late, especially especially during the rain delays or the weather delays. We've had different debates about different things. So I think Miguel will be more than ready to help carry the mantle this week. We've got plenty to discuss, including Robbie Robinson, who you have said you are president of his fan club. So we will discuss this weekend's 2-1 victory against the Portland Timbers. We will take stock of where Inter-Miami is heading into this international break. We'll look at individual performances, of course. And at the very end, we will do the Q&A session with our listeners. So, Miguel, we have a lot to discuss. Are you ready? Let's go. I'm ready. All right. Let's get to it. Okay, so, Inter-Miami goes off into the international breakaway. The 2-1 to victory at home over the Portland Timbers at Drive Pink Stadium in Fort Lauderdale. On Saturday night, it was the 4-3-3 Drake Callender, Ingle, DeAndre Yedlin, Damien Lowe, Ryan Saylor, and Christopher McVeigh made up the back four. The midfield triangle, Gene Mota, Gregory, and Bryce Duke. Your two wingers, on the right you had Robbie Robinson. On the left you had Ariel Lasseter. Up top, Leonardo Campana. The goals come from Leonardo Campana and Robert Taylor in the 27th and 59th minutes, respectively, before Bill Tulioma. Scores in the 78th for the Portland Timbers, making for a pretty nervous finish. And Miami had to suffer through the end of this one, and they pull it out, thanks in part to the woodwork, or to the far post. Because the Portland Timbers came within inches of tying this game late on, but Inter-Miami was bailed out by a shot that hit the post. So, it's enough for three points. Inter-Miami prevails. They continue their recent run of good form and they move up into 7th place in the Eastern Conference. 18 points from 14 games, of 5-win, 3-tie, 6-loss record. We're getting close to the halfway point of the season. Not there yet, but as of right now, Inter-Miami is in 7th place. They are above the red line. Miguel, just to start, what is your overall analysis of this game? What is the biggest analysis point that you take from the match Inter prevailed, but again, had to suffer to get to the finish line?
1: Yeah, I mean, my biggest takeaway from this, like this team finally found an identity that Phil never wanted them to have. You know, we saw it with Bryce Duke, Lassiter. You know, uh, Taylor wasn't playing on the right wing, but Robbie is playing. So, you know, those one-two touches that we saw, in the game is something that really caught my eye, and something that we haven't been uh, seeing with this uh, Phil Neville uh, uh, team. You know that the combination between McVeigh, Gregory, Lasseter, and Bryce Duke on the on the left wing is something that really caught my eye, and that's my biggest takeaway from from that game. The you know those little touches, those little details that we haven't seen from this team, and we're finally seeing more.
0: Yeah. Well, Victorioa in the post game interview that we had with him in the locker room he did touch on the little triangles he I think he used that exact that exact phrase that you saw more of those little triangles and more of that proactive and more aesthetically pleasing soccer and football in this game and I thought Inter Miami did play particularly well in the first half I think they should have been up by more than 1-0 They were only up 1-0 at that point, but I thought they should have had a few more goals and that there were a few more goals out there for the taking. I really liked the first half that they put forth. Did not like the second half. And I think in part, or part of the reason why there was a drop-off in terms of how well they performed comes down to two things. And we can dive into it here in a little bit. The overall substitutions, I think, didn't help the team. And I know it's something you asked Phil Neville about post-game. But I would start with the removal of Bryce Duke from the team. now he came off at halftime and was replaced by Robert Taylor because of a yellow card. Phil Neville didn't want to risk losing Bryce Duke and being reduced to 10 men. So he pulls him at halftime and brings in Robert Taylor. But I think that took away football from the team. I think that took soccer away from the team. Because as you mentioned, Bryce Duke in there... He's like a 10-8 hybrid center midfielder, but tasked with a little bit more attacking roles uh, and, and, and with more responsibilities further up the field than either Jean Mota and Gregory. So he's he's there to create. He's there to help penetrate. And when they take him out, they don't really have another player like him in that midfield. And I think once they lost him or once they took him out, again, with the idea that they don't want to risk a potential red card... I think they lost the football. I think they lost the soccer. And that allowed the Portland Timbers to start finding a little bit more of the game and a little bit of a better rhythm. Now, before that, before that substitution took place, it was almost all in miami in a very one-sided first half. Again, only one goal. Leonardo Campana scores. A nice header off a good cross from Christopher McVeigh after Bryce Duke played in a nice ball to find McVeigh down that left flank. So that's an example of The type of stuff they lost when Stoop came out. So, I ask you, what do you think about the first half compared to the second half? Because, again, you did ask Phil Neville in the post-game press conference about substitutions in general. I take it you were not too pleased or you didn't think too highly of them afterwards.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything that you said. But some, to add a little bit more about Bryce Duke, you know, he's a el motorcito. You know how they say in Spanish, like the engine of the team. It's funny you say I that because
0: I called him the little engine that could after this. I, I just started re- referencing him as that because, yes, he has a high motor and he helps impress, press. But it's also his creativity that he has that he's able to provide the team that Gene Mota has a little bit in, in bits and spurts. But he's clearly more of an eight, more of a box-to-box central midfielder than, than anything else. Although he's being used... As uh as like a little type, a more deep lying playmaker in that number six spot. But sorry about continue.
1: No, yeah, correct. I think yeah, Bryce Duke is young. He's twenty one years old. But I think it was too early to take out Bryce Duke from the game. Let him play an extra ten minutes, uh, an extra fifteen minutes. I feel like when you take a player out in the in you know in halftime, the team the team didn't come out right, and we saw it in the game. The team wasn't playing. As well as they were playing in the first half, this combination we didn't see at all. This combination was, uh, I believe, it was a Robert Taylor one that came in for him. I Robert forgot.
0: Taylor came in for
1: him, yes. Yeah, Robert Taylor. I actually told you that I hate when Robert Robert Taylor plays in that position. You know, behind that number nine. I like him when he plays more in the right wing. I feel like Robert Taylor doesn't have what Bryce Duke has that vision going forward. I don't know if you agree with me. Or... Yeah, yeah,
0: no, yeah, absolutely. He has a little bit more technique and a little bit more flow to the overall game the way he moves the ball he flicks the ball forward the way he can find the, the penetrating pass in behind he, he he plays that position a little more naturally and that's because he is more of a creative midfielder whereas Robert Taylor is a winger who is at times being played out of position he's not terrible at the at that role you know he, he dribbles at at defenders and he, he tries to make combinations happen but he's just not as good there we the best we've seen of robert taylor in my opinion has been when he's played more naturally on the wing so yeah i think bryce duke is one of the most important pieces of this team obviously he's fairly young but you know i think he is a very very key part the little engine that could is a very big part for Inter Miami. if let's say if he were to go down with an injury at some point which Inter-Miami has to knock on wood for, that, that that does not happen, then I think Inter-Miami would start struggling a bit more because without him there, like we saw in the second half, they lose a lot of soccer ideas, a lot of football ideas. Now, let's switch gears. Frank,
1: I have, I have a question. Dale, Instead of, let's say, I mean, cross-finger, let's say Bryce Duke gets injured, he's out for a game. Playing Iguain in that position behind Campana, as you know as the false nine. just giving ball to Lasseter or Robert Taylor or Gampana. Don't you think um, Neville would like that idea? Like I don't Eddie I don't
0: Wayne think so. Price? I don't think so. Because one think. one key element of Bryce Duke that we aren't touching on here is that yes, with the ball he gives them more. He gives them more ideas. But without the ball, he also gives them more because he's able to run about more. He's able to press he's able to harry defenders. And he's able to make them have to make quicker decisions because he has that, that motor and he's able to run around. He's got those young, fresh legs and that, that good energy. And if you've seen it since the Charlotte game, I'm not if I'm not mistaken, Phil Neville has found the defensive posture he likes. Because he comes out in the 4-3-3, but when they press, when the other team starts building out of the back, they go 4-4-2. And Bryce Duke takes up an advanced position next to Campana. Campana's not the fastest player either. That helps them be a little bit tougher from a defensive posture to break down. So, for me, that's why Bryce Duke is such an important, important part for this team. Because he gives them football. And he also gives himself on the defensive side. Which, if you put Gonzalo Higuain there, defensively, he gives you almost nothing. So, you lose. You lose a lot defensively, if you had Iguain playing there behind. I, mean, Campana think, I or... think
1: Gonzalo would make sense there. Like try him out there because, you know, you know what, what position I'm trying trying to explain you right is that like that position behind the number number nine, like that ten, just floating around the area, floating behind the behind Campana, just you know, allowing balls to Lasseter or Taylor or Robbie Robbie or McVeigh or Jelling, you know, in the wings. I think Iguain can do that pretty fine. I think. Of course what you said like oh you're going to lose a defensive player but then Campana has to do the you know what Bryce Duke does so Campana will be, has to do
0: double work. We saw this though. We saw that in a 442, flat 442. If I'm not mistaken, if my memory serves me correct, against FC Cincinnati before an international break in March. And Inter Miami got outplayed completely in that game. They were away from home. But the and the Cincinnati is a better team that was now. A
1: different team as well, those a different inter Miami team. Well, I think. but
0: but so that's so that's that's, that's my but that's my point. Is if you because you, you, your premise is that if Duke goes down injured, you put in Higuain there. I think you just lose a lot. I think you lose a lot defensively. Higuain can have moments with the ball, but I don't think he's I don't think he's a starter on this team. I think he, he's a substitute by and large for much of the rest of the year with the performances and the level he has shown. Because I don't think he has the athletic ability, nor the work rates And he's nowhere near as dominant with the ball or influential from the run of play to warrant being in that starting lineup on a regular basis. I think Iguain will be mostly a bench player from this point forward, unless something happens to Campana or unless something changes radically with his form or, or his overall state. So
1: you think the natural substitute for Duke is...
0: So they don't have a natural substitute. That's that's why why I think Bryce Duke is one of the most important pieces for this Inter-Miami team. If he goes down, they don't have anyone really that could fill a spot. Maybe, maybe Georgia Costa. Maybe Georgia Costa. But he's coming back from an injury. We've never really seen a whole lot of him with the first team. So, you know, it would be to be determined to see how well he could do. But, again, if... You know, that's why I think there's such an importance on Bryce Duke and his presence in that midfield. Because without him, I think the team loses a lot of football and a lot of attacking ideas. Even with Robert Taylor, who, again, is respectable there, but just doesn't have the same ideas, doesn't move the ball as quickly, You know, doesn't have those one-two-touch type of passes and ideas on a regular basis that helps keep the ball flowing, helps get other players their touches. He's not as... He's not as... Trying to think of the word in English, but you know in Spanish, combinas, combinas. You combine. You're a player that, you're a player that likes to, to get the mm-hmm. ball off your foot and and find other players and and get that involved. And you know that's what I think Bryce Duke gives him. And I don't think Robert Taylor is that type of player. I think he's more of a player that likes to go at it alone, individually. Yes, at times he does pass. I'm not saying he doesn't pass, but he's he's more of a, take players on the dribble. And show off his, his flashiness. We saw that against DC United. When he was turning defenders in and out with different moves on the ball. He's not necessarily someone that is going to to hit a ball in behind the defense. Or, or combine in the same way that Bryce Duke can. So yeah, I don't think that Bryce Duke has a natural, a natural substitute on this team. But let's switch gears to the substitutions overall in that second half. Because while in the first half, we liked what we saw from, from Inter-Miami. Second half, I think we're in agreement that it wasn't great. It was not as good. And, again, got by through with the skin of their teeth. You asked Phil Neville about the substitutions in general. Yes, what he was looking for because Phil Neville moved into that five-man back line. It did not necessarily work out that well. Yes, Inter Miami got the win. But, again, they almost, almost blew it. They almost gave it away. Bill Tuiloma's goal comes off of a corner kick. the miamis defense falls asleep for just that one second. They get caught napping. They lose concentration. And that leads to a goal off a corner kick in a game that the Timbers weren't in. The Timbers had been getting outplayed. And they weren't creating much danger at all. But they get that goal. They're back in it. What did you think of those substitutions? I imagine you're going to be critical here. Because just judging from your question and the way you asked it post-game, I could tell you weren't in favor of that move.
1: I mean, I'm not the only one by the way. If you go to Twitter and you see all the inter Miami fans, they they don't agree with that. And and yeah and you said like when when has the back line actually worked for Phil Neville, Franco? Like can you like explain it to me? Because it doesn't make any sense for me. I don't know I don't know what he's trying to do with the back line of five. Like I know yes, you put extra defender there, so try to kill the game, try to end the game already, but like it just doesn't make any sense for me at all.
0: Yeah, so I, I think the idea behind it is to have an extra body back there, close up the spaces, and just see off the game. I think that's the idea behind it. Now, the execution, well, that is a different story. The team, I think, gets a bit too defensive-minded when Phil Neville goes to that back five. And it has worked on different occasions in the past. It's not like it's always been what we saw in this second half, which it didn't really work. And Phil Neville, after the game, said he took some responsibility... For the manner in which the game ended, Phil Neville seemed a bit agitated during the post-game press conference. It wasn't like he was very exuberant or very happy and pleased because the way the game ended left him with a, a, a bad taste in his mouth. And he took some responsibility for it. But, yes, I agree with you that I don't think that the going to the back five in this game and in several other games, I don't think it's necessarily the best choice. I think it's... Phil Neville's, you know, one of his preferred options in his tool bag because they've used that formation and he thinks it can close out a game. But from my vantage point, and that's not a stylistic thing because we can talk about the style and, and that's a different conversation. But I don't think, I think it's too defensive-minded. I think it invites pressure from the other team because now you're taking away someone from an advanced position, be it a, a forward or a midfielder. Now again, Timbers got into this game off of a corner kick. That's what helped get them back into the game. Phil Noble said after the match, you know, he was there was you know people weren't doing their jobs on that set piece, but again, he also took responsibility for the the fact that Inter Miami didn't play particularly well. I think he was looking for a solution to get control back into the game. I think he thought with an extra body back there they'd get more control because they started to lose some of it again with Bryce Duke's exit. However it didn't work out. And that's that's one, you know, criticism that could be had of Phil Neville is that at times maybe he does think too defensively. At times maybe he is too pragmatic in that way. Maybe maybe not maybe not everybody shares that. Maybe not everyone shares that. I know I saw plenty of people post game say "Inter Miami got lucky, Phil Neville got lucky that Inter Miami should have blown the lead and it should have ended even 2 to 2." Obviously, that post saves their blushes, but it's definitely a talking point. What are your thoughts?
1: I mean, I agree with you some parts, but if you want to take control of the game, put more ad- more Adams in the game. Put an extra midfielder. Don't put an extra defender because all after, after Phil Neville was switched to the back line of five, we saw how uh, Portland Timbers abandoned the field and created danger. Danger after danger after danger. You know, they score a goal, but then after the goal, they have several chances of the world to score another one. I'm like, what's going on here because the players were go- were confused in the back line
0: yeah it wasn't it wasn't the best or the most convincing finish to a game I, it looked much different than the first half the first half I came up with the sensation there's more goals out there Inter Miami's going to win this one 3-4-0 and then they got the second goal in the, in the second half but they started losing some football and obviously then things get difficult I didn't necessarily like the substitutions you know Gonzalo Higuain for Leonardo Campana Again, we talked about it before, but I think putting Gonzalo Higuain in, in there, you lose a lot defensively. You lose some. You lose the reference point up top when he plays as the number nine because he's not necessarily in the box playing that, that type of game. So I didn't necessarily like that substitution at, at that point in the match when it was 2-0. I thought, keep Campana in there. Going with Gonzalo Higuain, you're going to, I, th- I think, my analysis you're going to lose something from the run of play and it's going to allow the other team to have a bit more of the ball. So that's to say that Inter-Miami could have done better. Phil Neville could have managed the game better, in my opinion. But in the end, Inter-Miami gets it done and they are now in seventh place in the Eastern Conference. Let's quickly touch on a I couple mean, of
1: more... I mean, something up, but who does... Uh, Inter-Miami has the bench? to be honest. I mean, he put Indiana for Robbie... Robert Taylor came in, Gonzalo, which wasn't, barely touched the ball, Victor Ulloa, and then um, Mavica, you know, when he switched the back line. no, know, who's on the bench? Uh, Emerson, uh, Mo Adams, and Karen Gibbs. And that's that's all you have. So, yes, I I don't like it, but then once again, you don't have that much players to to put in and change the game.
0: Right, but just because you have substitutions doesn't mean you have to use all the substitutions. And Phil Neville Neville didn't need to make five substitutions when, you know, when the game was still 2-0 in Inter-Miami's favor, I think that that ruined their rhythm and that ruined their flow and that ruined the control of the game that they had. It, it Like you said, it helped invite more pressure from the Portland Timbers when they had the ball. Now, Portland Timbers made a lot of substitutions as well, but they brought in, one of the players they brought in is one of their best players or one of their most talented players in Sebastian Blanco. So... You know didn't that have a great game didn't have a great game but he gives them more football and more soccer ideas so again I, I didn't think Phil Neville covered himself in glory reiterate he took some responsibility for that in the post game although it was very brief he, you know he, he only said I'll take some responsibility with maybe the substitutions I made something along those lines but he did he did point the finger there a little bit at himself so something that that inner Miami will have to assess analyze and improve. Phil Neville and his staff will have to assess and analyze and improve is how they manage these games, how they make the most of their substitutions. There's been games where they've gotten it right. There's been games where the substitutions and the formation changes have worked. But I think it's about the reading of the game, understanding what a certain match calls for. I don't think this match called for the substitutions that they made when they made them. Now, switching gears, let's touch on a couple more players. Campana stays hot and he gets called up to Ecuador. He's with them right now training for their matches coming up during this international window. I thought he had another good performance. He, You know, he he, he scrapped. He fought hard. A lot of flicks and tricks. He, I asked him about that post game, how much confidence he's playing with because he's pulling off a lot of street soccer, a lot of football calle moves where he flicks the ball this way. And, and he just looks a very confident, confident player. What were your thoughts on Leonardo Campana's overall performance? Of course, touching on the goal, but... Just his overall showing from the run of play during his time on the field.
1: I mean, I asked him if this was the best moment of his, you know, soccer career. And I think he said, yeah, basically. I mean, I, I told him, like, every single ball he touches is a, is a goal for, for Leo Gambana. And, and he's playing with such confidence, you know, like, like you see him walking on the pitch and you see him, like, playing with so much confidence. You know, he's every single time he touches the ball, he's going to do some, something different. Uh and when a soccer player is with confidence, you know, you cannot take him out of out of out of the game. I think he took a Leo Campana a bit too early. I know Leo Campana doesn't want to say, Oh, I was mad because they took me out, but I mean you can see he was mad when they when they when he got up. But yeah, Leo Campana has been um, amazing so far and congrats to him on getting the call to the Ecuador national team.
0: And his his finish was a pretty simple finish, right? He just, he got to the position. I mean, he made the run. That was good. And then he just had to comb the ball into the back of the net, essentially, because the cross was very good. Has to be noted, Christopher McVay had a lot of time to pick out that cross. I think the ball bounced twice before anyone even came close to Christopher McVay and before he hit in that cross. And when you have time and space, you know, that's what makes the difference between good players, great players, and elite players is how accurate, how precise they can be with less time and less space on the ball. But, again, Inter-Miami and Christopher McVeigh on that play took advantage of what they had in front of them, and Inter-Miami took the lead. Campana's playing well. Campana's playing very well. Yeah, uh, we'll, see, we'll, see, we'll see how it goes for him with Ecuador. One of the friendlies that Ecuador has is at Dry Pink Stadium, the place in the home where Campana has been banging in those goals. So... We'll see how, he go- how it goes for him in that matchup. It's, they, I think they played Cape Verde on June 11th in a friendly. I imagine he'll get a run out there. Imagine if he scores there in the yellow and blue of Ecuador. I'm sure that would mean an awful lot for him. Now, I have to ask you, since you are president, that's right, el presidente <laughs> of the Robbie Robinson fan club, what did you think of Robbie Robinson's game? He had one very clear look or a decent look to score and make this game 2-0 in the first half late on. He shoots it well wide or well high of the mark. After that, he looked a bit injured. He looked looked like he was in pain. It obviously happened on that play that that he takes the shot. It's a one-on-one counter attack. He tries to... Continue on after the medical team looks at him. But he can't. He goes down to the ground. And he has to be subbed off. And that's when Indiana Vasilev comes on for him. After the game. Phil Neville was asked about Robbie Robinson. And the status of him. Because it didn't look good. It didn't look good. Judging by the body language. And how he was reacting on the field. Robbie Robinson that is. It looked like a serious injury that was going to take him out. Phil Neville after the game said. Robbie is okay. That's all he said. That's all he said.
1: He said it twice, by the way. Robbie is okay.
0: So what are your thoughts on Robbie Robinson's latest performance?
1: Well, I think Robbie Robinson is not okay after that. It was definitely, he's not okay. He had two shots on the goal, but then... I mean, I feel bad for the kid. He cannot catch a break. You know, coming back after injury, getting injured again. You know, his first year in miami we saw what happened with him. Then the second year... He barely played. Now this year he's barely playing. I mean, the kid can actually break at all. And you know what I like about him? The he was last year he was always trying. He was the only one trying up front. He every single time he got the ball, like no. You, know, <laughs> you really, you him. really are. You really
0: are the president of his fan club. He was the
1: only <laughs> one trying last year. Wow. Okay. All right. No. You know, like he was always like encarando. You know, one on one defenders taking defenders off. And that's something that I really, I really like about him. You know, a young player. He was 22. You know, attacking, attacking, attacking. But I feel bad. Now. He can, he cannot catch a break at all. I, I don't know. I don't, explain to me why, why is it that you're not a fan of Robbie?
0: I have explained it on this podcast numerous times, and it's, you know, it seems like he tries. It seems like he's giving it his best or close to his best. But it's just not good enough. It's not good enough. Technically, he's not great. Doesn't have a whole lot of technical skills on the ball, with the ball. Doesn't have much of a left foot at all. And he's a player with speed. And he doesn't use that speed anywhere near as much as he should. Like you said, yes, Encara. Yes, he looks to go one-on-one at defenders. But he always ends up doing... Not always. He often ends up doing that cut to his right. And he slows down overall play. He then makes himself predictable. He's very, very limited. Un jugador limitado. Re-contra-limitado. Very limited for me, in my opinion. And we could go into a bigger discussion on it. Although I'm trying to stay in, in the moment in terms of the game. But look at Robbie Robinson from year one to year three. This is his third season. How much better is he than when he started... As a professional, not very I, much. Not very much. I
1: mean, you, you got. You gotta understand as well. Robbie was coming from college. You know, first year with Dale Alonso it wasn't the best year. Then second year you switch coach. You know, you got Phil Neville, and apparently that Phil Neville was not helping it. You gotta teach a, a player like Robbie. You gotta teach him a lot of stuff, and it looks like they're not doing the job, in my opinion, because he has a lot of potential. And I don't see where you, the not... potential is. I don't see it. I don't see it. I mean, I do see it. The explosion that he has. My, my environment does not have a player like him with the explosion and the, you
0: know, Emerson Rodriguez. Rapping. Emerson Rodriguez is more explosive than Robbie Robinson. He doesn't play. He doesn't play, but Emerson Rodriguez is more explosive than Robbie Robinson. And I see more. I see more football. I see more yes. natural ability in Emerson Rodriguez than I have and that I do with Robbie Robinson. I think Emerson Rodriguez is also green and very raw and needs a lot of work. Like Robbie. But I think, I, I, no, but Robbie, Robbie Robinson does not show much of anything from the run of play. And I thought it was very interesting that all Phil Neville said post-game was Robbie's okay. Because I've asked Phil, I asked Phil before, I think it was an Open Cup game, and it might have been the game against Tormenta, or maybe the game for Orlando, but maybe Tormenta, about Robbie Robinson. Because there was a period this season, earlier in the year, when Phil Neville was very brief. In discussing Robbie Robinson. I think you even asked him one of those one of those questions, and and you know, he said Robbie's important for us or it's key for us, right? Yeah. But he wouldn't say a whole lot. And at one point later on in the year, I asked him, I know you've been very selective in your words when you've been asked about Robbie Robinson, but how much more would you like to see from him, given that just statistically? He hasn't done great this year in one of those winger roles. Those wingers are tasked with scoring goals and creating assists. Up to now, I would have to pull up the stats right now, but I think he has one goal and one assist, maybe two. Maybe two. And Phil Neville gave a longer response. He said, I think there's still another 40% to go. There's another 40% that we can get from him. And that's why he's been kind of selective when talking about him publicly because he doesn't want to sing his praises and doesn't want to do too much. you know. Maybe that's his way of trying to man-manage Robbie Robinson, try to help inspire him or, or try to get the best out of him. But we're still not seeing it. And the fact that he came out of this game looking so injured and then Phil Neville afterwards says, Robbie's okay? My reading of it, and I could be wrong, I don't know what your reading of it was, my reading of it was, Robbie Robinson wasn't as hurt as he led on. And I think we're getting to the point where Robbie Robinson's going to start seeing less and less minutes on this team because other wingers are emerging. Other wingers are proving more productive. Ariel Lasseter is the number one winger on this team right now. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. After that, the other wing spot is open. It's open for grabs. Robert Taylor showed... Robert Robert, Taylor. Robert Taylor showed... It should be Robert Taylor, but we saw one game against DC United where he looked good there. And that's been the only game where he's really been wow there. I imagine he'll get more looks, and I think he has the ability to make that starting role his. Indiana Vasilev's also in the mix now. Listen, I'm not super high on Indiana Vasilev, but hey. I think he's in the mix. And and Phil has turned to him quite a bit since Vasilev's arrival. So I think Robbie Robinson's in, in a very tough spot. But and I, and I, feel I, like,
1: I feel like Robbie is, I mean,. I'm not, I'm just, this is my my opinion. I feel like Robbie is a special player, you know, and that's what Phil is thinking. Like, we got to take care of this guy. And not say you know, certain stuff about this player and and the press conference. Like, you got to treat
0: Robbie a special way compared to other players. I don't know. That's my opinion. I think, I don't know anything. (laughs) I don't know anything. (laughs) But when he says Robbie's okay and Robbie came off injured, doesn't that ring alarm bells to you? Doesn't that raise red flags to you? Isn't that, well, why would he say he's okay if he came off looking like he wasn't okay?
1: It doesn't because like remember when I asked him was like oh, how key is Robbie for this team and he's like, It's key. So apparently he doesn't want to you know, put I don't know, he doesn't want to put that pressure into Robbie head heads or stuff like that. I don't know.
0: But if he's injured when he say, Yeah, look, he took a he took a knock, it's you know, we're going to assess him. No, he said Robbie's okay. Like it, I, I don't I I read that I don't read that as a positive comment for Robbie Robinson.
1: I feel like Phil's like that on a press conference. He doesn't, doesn't Phil's a talk, great speaker.
0: Well, he, I, I think Phil's a great speaker. Yeah.
1: But, I mean, every single time we ask him for an players, player, he's, like, super, like, sure on his answer. It's like, oh, yeah, a player is okay. I mean, even the team, the team hasn't posted anything about his injury, right? They never do. So,
0: so yeah, we don't know what, as of right now, what the status of Robbie Robinson is. If he would, like, let's say if there was a game this weekend, would he be able to play? Not sure. Have not really gotten an I mean, update there. But According to Phil, yeah, because he's okay. Exactly. So, that, that I mean, that, <laughs> that to me, to me, again, I, I'll reiterate, Reading between the lines, that to me is a sliver of a sign of frustration towards a player who continues to not produce for him for one reason or the other. And he has had his bad luck with injuries, Robbie Robinson has. But that's also part of an overall analysis of a player. Is he injury prone? Is he able to consistently stay healthy and produce for you? Robbie Robinson to this point. Has not shown that. But anyway, let's let's move on. Let's talk about one more thing regarding this game. And that's the home form that Inter-Miami is having. Right now, they are four wins, two ties, and two losses at home at DRV Pink Stadium this season. And that's a big reason why they are in seventh place and above the playoff line as things stand right now. Away from home, they're one win... One draw and four losses. So their home form is a big, big, big reason why they are where they are. What have you thought about Inter Miami at home this year? Phil Neville mentioned it, touched on it briefly, saying that they're starting to build somewhat of a fortress. He didn't go all out and say, oh, they have built a fortress, but he, he was saying that they're starting to build somewhat of a fortress with the run of form that they're having at home. It looks like with their younger, fresher legs across the entire team they're starting to capitalize on the weather a little bit more starting to make the most of the heat and humidity that is in south florida your thoughts
1: i mean yeah look at the teams that i visit port and timbers they're up up north uh near rebel new york and dc united those are teams that are not used to the temperature next team visiting here is minnesota by the way so I'm from Miami, and every single time I go to a driving stadium, I f- I feel the heat, I feel the humidity, especially after a rain. It was a rain delay, by the way. Yeah. This so yeah, it, it, the heat there is absolutely crazy, and you gotta take advantage of that. This team is should not be losing points here at home because they're so limited. They gotta win every single point here at home. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's key for inter-Miami. They wanna make a make a deep run to win, try to win every single game here at home. I
0: think this is where the thorough analysis and the job that was done in the offseason is coming into play because they obviously signed players that were younger, higher energy, and now it's translating a little bit more on the field. Maybe not as consistent as Inter Miami would like and as us on the outside that are watching would like to see, but I think it is bearing fruit. The Red Bulls game was one game where I was... Impressed by how Inter-Miami managed it in terms of that on that front and surprised by how the Red Bulls just could not maintain their level. They're high-pressing. They weren't that true Red Bull style or they weren't able to implement that true Red Bull style for the entire 90 minutes. And I think the heat and the humidity had a lot to do with that. So Inter-Miami, Phil Neville, and the players are doing a better job of defending its home turf, making Drive Pink Stadium count, so that's definitely been a big plus during these first 14 games of the season. Miguel, anything you want to add here before we wrap up this first segment? Anything you want to add with regards to the game, the substitutions, Gonzalo Higuaín, your boy Robbie Robinson, anything at all?
1: I mean, the game was two phases, to be honest. The first half and the second half. Uh, I do believe the subs the subs did not help into miami a lot and help uh, Portland a lot because we saw them push the lines up a little bit after after the subs. But yeah, I mean, I feel like Inter-Miami, you know, we see at game, after game after game them getting a little bit better, but I don't know where they go from here. So we, ha- we got to keep looking at this team and see how good they can get, to be honest, because I think they have a lot of potential to, to be top five team in the Eastern Conference.
0: And Phil Neville talked post-game about having told the team that he thinks that they could be at the top of the Eastern Conference. And that's that's where he's setting the bar. Pretty, pretty high. Pretty interesting yeah, I, remarks I don't there.
1: I think he got to the top. Uh, pretty, yeah, it's pretty,
0: pretty interesting remarks from Phil Neville there in the post-game press conference. They definitely... Listen, I, I predicted before the season started that I did not think they could make the playoffs. Or that they would make the playoffs, excuse me. Right now, given how even the Eastern Conference is, if things keep up this way, they easily could make the playoffs. Because... They have 18 points, again, from 14 games. CF Montreal, which is in third place, is only five points, five points ahead of them. But now, if you look at it the other way, and you go in the other direction, DC United, which is in 13th place, second to last, has 14 points. So, it's only four points away. So, you know, the Eastern Conference right now is very, very tight. And there's no, besides maybe New York City, eh, you could say Philadelphia... To an extent, there's not much difference between the Eastern Conference right now. There's not much disparity. I mean,
1: enter Miami, went to Philadelphia and played really, really good game. They they deserve to win that game. And correct me if I'm wrong, but in the same week, they tie against Philadelphia and Philadelphia, and then they beat uh, the Rebels here in Miami. Yes, you know, top three teams in the East. So I I do get where Phil Neville was coming from.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think the state of the team is is better. I think Phil Neville has found the team, and we can close out on this thought. I think Phil Neville has found more or less his starting lineup now it's just about rounding out the the group with the players he has available because if you if we just run through it very quickly i think we can name It's an exercise sure. it's an exercise i i asked the listeners to try to do as well as you miguel i think you can name at least seven starters off the top of your head de memoria like off off memory you oh, can yeah. name seven yeah, yeah, yeah. campana one and you can you can say no if you disagree campana's one oh, yeah. ariel Lasseter's two
1: of course
0: Bryce Duke, 3. Yes. Shin Mota 4. hmm Gregory, 5. Yes. Damian Lowe, 6. hmm DeAndre Yedlin, 7. hmm I would say... I would say... I would put Drake Callender McVay. in there right now.
1: Um, I think McVeigh has been playing really good the, last, the couple of the last games.
0: He has played well, but I think those... I think the seven we just named, I think they're lock starters on this team. As so of right now, with how things you are going. do think...
1: You don't think Phil Nell has still found the top four players in 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 in, in the starting lineup? Because I think, I think it's a, I think it's Taylor, Duke, Lasseter, and Campana. I think those are my starting like, four up for up up front.
0: I think that right now that's what I would think is his preferred four. But we haven't seen Robert Taylor there consistently enough to say, yes, he's won that starting position. I think. He, do you think
1: Indiana Indiana is capable of like starting in the scene?
0: I don't. But Phil Neville and the Inter-Miami staff clearly rate him. And they like what he brings to the table. He's corre long. He's high energy. Runs around a lot. Puts in a lot of work defensively. Maybe isn't the sharpest in the final third. But clearly they like something about him. So I think Robert Taylor is the player that's more talented. But I don't think he's... I think he hasn't penciled him in as, a, as the lock starter on one of those wing spots. I think he still has to prove that he can be a regular starter there on a consistent basis. But, that that aside, 7 out of the 11 places, I think, have been clearly established. Christopher McIntyre has looked good, and I think Phil Neville will turn to him more often than not. But, is he going to be the left-back? Is he going to be the left-center-back? And does that mean that Ryan Saylor or Amima Beaker are going to go to the bench? I think see, I think there's still questions with regards to the left-back spot, the left-center-back spot. You could say goalkeeper, and you could say one of the winger spots. But I think the other spots are all, are all they're they're established. Those, those are your starters, and I think Phil Neville is starting to find the team, and I think that's what's helped Inter-Miami during this recent run. They have found a combination of players. They have found a starting 11, or a nucleus of a starting 11, that gives them their best chances of winning.
1: I mean, I think it will be kind of unfair for Drake. To when when Nick comes back to see, see him on the bench because I mean he's been fantastic. That game against Orlando, even against Portland, you know, like it's just he's been pretty good lately.
0: I agree with you that he's been doing well, but again, it's still like it's still a conversation, right? Like it's still it's not 100 clear cut that he's a starter. I think he's a starter. I've debated with Jose, your fellow Catracho. On this show about that, he says... Hey, Nick. we were
1: talking about it last game with the um, show as well.
0: Yeah, hosted thinks 100% Nick Marsman is going to return back to the starting lineup when he's healthy and available. I think Drake stays in there, but it's still a question, right? It's still it's not clear one way or the other how Phil Neville will go. We can have our opinions of what we think, but that's one of the positions that's still a bit of a mystery. Mm-hmm. But, but again, to reiterate, 7 out of those 11 places, from yeah. our vantage point, those have been decided. Those have have lock starters in them. But anyway, let's leave it there. Let's take a quick break. We will come back and jump into the Q&A session because we don't have a game to preview. So we will do that after this. Okay, everybody, it's Q&A time. We have quite a few questions. We're going to try to jump into them and answer as many of them as possible. But before we do that, just quickly want to touch on the international call-ups that Inter-Miami has during this window. Players to keep an eye on during the international break that could play for their respective national teams. Leonardo Campana with Ecuador. We already touched on him. DeAndre Yedlin has gone off with the U.S. men's national team. and He could play as soon as Wednesday against Morocco. Jovan Jones is with Trinidad and Tobago, although Inter-Miami did not announce his call-up, which I thought was interesting. Because they announced everybody else's, but they did not announce Jovan Jones, which... curious about that. Damien Lowe was called up by Jamaica. Robert Taylor was called up by Finland. Edison Escona was also summoned to the Dominican Republic national team, but I believe because of the injury he is nursing, he is not going to suit up for the Dominican Republic during this window. So, five players that are on international duty, five Inter Miami players to keep an eye on, and hope again, knock on wood for the best, that they don't get injured. Because something Phil Noble has touched on in recent weeks more than once is how he's critical of the amount of games that international teams, excuse me, the national teams are playing during this international window. Because some teams are playing as many as four games over a two week stretch, and he thinks that obviously that type of workload can lead to injuries and that obviously can can be harmful to a club team so we'll see how these players do for inter miami during the international break again keep an eye out on them now let's just jump into the q a session miguel paz aka michael peace and we will start with this question from Fighting herons. The team has given up a late goal every time Phil brings on the five defender formation. In the last few games, is this just a coincidence, or does Phil need to scrap this strategy? We touched on this a little bit earlier. Miguel, go for it. I mean, yeah, I talked about it.
1: I'm not a huge fan of uh, the back, uh, the, the you know, putting extra defender when you're winning. And I actually went on Twitter after the game. And I saw a lot of fans, you know, like, oh, why is Phil doing this? Why is Phil putting extra defender? And yeah, I think it has to do a lot with the back uh, with the when he put extra defender because. There's a lot of confusion in the back line, especially with the by center backs, uh, Sailor. Uh, you gotta be really careful with Ryan Sailor because players are not that used to playing uh, with a with a line of three in college. So it's really confusing when when you come into the MLS and you start playing with a line of three. So yeah, uh, I'm not a huge fan of it. I don't like it. I, I hope he switches up his mind a little bit because I think nobody else is a fan of. Oh,
0: <laughs> it's it's very defensive minded and from a stylistic standpoint, obviously not the best. Not the best. Now from a result standpoint, it's been hot and cold. It's worked sometimes, hasn't worked in others. I think I don't think it's something they should scrap. I would disagree with you there. I don't think it's something they should get rid of. I think it's just something that Phil Neville and his coaching staff need to better understand how and when to use it. And maybe this game like this one against the Portland Timbers, it'll help them get experience from and understand, hey, maybe in games where the team is ahead, 2-0, even though they might not be playing as great, maybe that's not the right move. Maybe a midfielder is the right move, adding in an extra body in the middle of the park to try to regain control, something along those lines. I think that's that's where they need to assess, just pick and choose Better the moments of when to go to the back five and when not to. Next question comes. Uh,
1: just to add something up, you already know Phil's going to do that when the team is up one 0 with ten minutes remaining. It's
0: not like you know he's going to do it. But one 0 I don't dislike it as much because one 0 you're trying to close out the game, right? It's more about clamping, you know, closing things up at the back. So I understand it more there. But in a game like this where you're up 2-0, and yes, maybe you are losing some control of the game and some of the ball and some of the possession, I think a midfielder makes more sense as opposed to a center back. But that's just my opinion. That's just how I view the game. That's my analysis. So next question comes from Tweeter. What has been the most surprising thing about Inter Miami so far this season and what has not surprised you? For me, calendar stellar play was not something I was expecting this season. Not surprised Inter-Miami is competing for a playoff spot, nor that Iguain is coming off the bench. Oof, this is a good question. It's a very good question because it's going to make us think. But I'll let you start, Miguel, because it looks like you're, you're ready for a response.
1: <laughs> I mean, surprise? Yeah, I mean, the young players, Bryce Duke, um, Taylor, Lasseter, Campana, they really surprised me a lot. Drake Calendar as well. Those players that really surprised me. And something that I didn't expect at all was that Gonzalo Iguain. I did not expect Gonzalo going to be a bench
0: player this year. I would second that notion. I would second that notion. You know, even though last year he didn't physically look great, he was still competing. He was still contributing. And in this year and in this season, even though he's had some injuries that he's had to recover from, he has, by and large, looked pretty subpar. Pretty subpar. So I didn't see him not starting on this team. I thought he was going to have another year, like maybe last year, where it's hot and cold. So that, that has been surprising, as well as the emergence of some of these young players, like Drake Callender, like Bryce Duke, although I liked what I saw from him on day one in training. I wish Jose was on the podcast right now, because Jose was giving me stick because when when I was like, wow, that was an impressive goal from Bryce Duke on a training session, and and he was like, oh, you're making so much out of nothing. I was like, all I said was it was a nice goal from Bryce Duke. I liked that, and I liked what I saw from him in the bits that we saw in day one. But anyway... Yeah, th- I think that's those are some of the surprising elements. What has not surprised me about this team? Uh, I mean, I feel like the fan
1: base, to be honest. You know, remember when they went on that five-game losing streak? That that was really tough to watch this team. And and the fans were always, were always there supporting, supporting, supporting. I mean, I know Inter-Miami fans are super loyal to the team. But yeah, th- them being there all the time is like something I'm like, wow. They really like this team a lot.
0: Yeah, I, I don't. I, I, that's a good question. I would have to think more about what has not surprised me about Inter Miami this year because I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling to the say there's something that has not surprised me because mostly it's been mostly a surprise. It's been mostly a surprise for me. I mean, this might be a, this might be harsh or sound harsh. I mean, Robbie Robinson's struggles don't surprise me. There's one thing. They just, I think this is just what we've seen from him over his first two years is just an extension of that when he's on the field doesn't make an impact consistently enough and when he's when he's and then he's often also injured so maybe that's something that i would say has not surprised me let's go to the next one and it comes from atlante herons it seems a given that inter miami will exercise the buy option on campana's loan deal to make it permanent any idea on what the fee would be and how could it impact the DP or U22 roster spots moving forward? So, I will answer this one first. Yeah. And I, think, I think he'll be a DP. I don't have any inside information as to the exact number that Chris Henderson worked out with Wolves. But I imagine between the transfer fee and between the salary, because he's on a low number. We talked about this a week ago and even two weeks ago. He's on like one hundred and thirty-five thousand, I think, more or less. Could be off by a little bit there, but that's the budget hit that Inter Miami's paying him right now. If they buy him out, he will have to. They will have to pay his full salary, and I think that plus the transfer fee will put him above the DP threshold. That's just my supposition. My supposition. Don't have inside information I, there, I, but I'll say this. I'll say this. I'll say this. I'll say this, Miguel. I'll say this. Maybe Chris Henderson, because Chris Henderson knows the league very well. He knows the rules. Maybe he works something out where, because of Campana's age, maybe he could get him under that U22, under-22 initiative. Maybe there's a way to do that. I don't know all the technical terms there and all the rules and whatnot, so maybe so, but I would imagine Campana's more of a designated player given that he's an Ecuadorian international, a striker. You know, strikers cost more because they score goals, so I think all those elements will add up to making him a DP more so than the U22 initiative, but we will see how Miami goes about that.
1: I think with Campana, they're waiting a little bit because at the end of the day, nobody expected this from Campana. Let's be honest. Uh early in the season, just fourteen games, and it's really surprising when you say like DP type of player. Um, uh, I don't know. I I gotta I I'm saying calm with Campana. You know, like I'm not so sure about like DP type of player. But if if she keeps scoring goals like this, I know, of course he's gonna be a DP player. But you know, the season's super early right now, and let's see when after July, August. To see where he where's he he's at.
0: So you sound like your fellow hunter in there, and Jose's like, you know, he's been very lukewarm on Leonardo Campana this season, even though Campana has been consistently producing. Yeah. I think Inter Miami is going to buy out his option, unless something completely surprise could, me. Right. That would surprise you or would not?
1: No, it wouldn't. It would, it would that's
0: what I, and so that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Unless something completely drastic happens from here till the end of the year. I just don't see how they don't keep him. And based off that, I think his salary and the transfer fee will make him a DP. That doesn't, you know, you could argue if he's deserving of the DP slot or not. We could have that debate or that discussion because Campana's not necessarily a player that creates his own shot. He's not that type of striker. He's someone that relies on the service of, of other players. But I think just the numbers will make it that he is a DP if Inter-Miami triggers that buy option in the deal, the loan deal from Wolves. Now, let's go up to Dos Nose, who says, this is more of a suggestion since there, since there are no games for the next three weeks. Let's grade the player so far, contribution, consistency, and reliability. Derek Torres replies to that and says, I second this idea. I like your guys' idea. We will do that next week. Let's do that next week when we have less to talk about because we don't have a game to analyze. We can analyze the team in and of itself a little bit more deeply. So I like that idea. Let's
1: do. What grade? I have a question for you. Sure. What grade do you give the team until now? Like until it's fourteen games? What's your grade for the team?
0: Good question. From uh... A to F. C plus B minus, somewhere around there. C, somewhere around there. Yeah. I can't. Yeah, I, I, can't I can't give him an A.
1: Yeah. No, of course, of course. It's not an A because they started the season. They're
0: they're above the playoff line, mm. so they're they're doing more than what I expected right now. But again, mm, the great. East the East is tight. The East is tight. If Inter Miami goes on a three game losing streak, they fall into they into the hole again, right? So yeah. it's the East is still very much up for grabs. It's still very TBD to be determined. Let's let's so let's see. Let's wait and see. But as of right now, they're in a spot. That would put them in the playoffs they're looking better with the ball c plus b minus that's that's where i would go what about you
1: yeah i give them a c plus because of the way they turn the thing around to be honest i didn't expect this team to perform the way that they're performing and to be honest each game they keep getting better and better you know yes they have moments I are like oh my god there there comes into miami again there comes Network with you know subs and stuff like that but yeah uh c plus for me
0: okay so then let's go to VIA. A month after Miami Freedom Park was approved, where does the Miami Freedom Project project stand? Do we know if the new land appraisals are in and contract signed timeline? We don't have any updated details with regards to that. So I don't think there's much to provide there. I haven't heard anything new. But I imagine Inter Miami is working vigorously at trying to get the next step done so they can actually start construction on the projects. But let's go to last question from Lucho Lalo 1896. He says Franco, Jose and Steve, how are you guys? Happy we are seventh at the moment. It's kind of good and bad. We have this long month break cuz I see as seventh, but I have this bad feeling we're going right back out the playoff line again when we return. Oh, come on! <laughs> What's the outlook on transfers? DP's predictions on rest of the season. So we'll save the predictions for later on when we get closer to the midway point because it's still again to be determined. But let's save that. As for the outlook on transfers and, and DPS, I have heard that Inter Miami may have a player or two on the trading block. So, oh, Frank will
1: say it. Frank will say your names.
0: <laughs> I will withhold the names for now, but there are pieces out there that I've heard, just generally speaking, that Inter Miami is looking to shop around, which makes sense. It's part of the construct of Major League Soccer. Yeah. You can trade players. Yeah, There's some players that are on the first team that aren't getting a whole lot of minutes. As for DPs, all the big names get linked, but We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how Inter Miami goes about it. They, they say they have a DP slot open. Do they fill it this summer? How do they fill it? Will it be with a big name player? Will it be with somebody younger? These are questions I mean, that that have to be answered and that will be answered in due time. I am mean, I mean, I'm taking a more wait and see approach.
1: You know, every single rumor was like a striker. You know, you know who I'm talking about. But then now with Leo Gambana, like you cannot bring a striker and say Leo Campana in the form that he is. And then, what, what 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 position does the team need more help? Like, what, in your opinion,
0: like, what, what is it like? What player do they need? Like Or what position they need to fill out, fill out? So that's a good, that's a good question because we just touched on what we think are seven starters, seven entrenched starters. So that leaves left back. That leaves left center back. Left center back. That leaves one mm-hmm. of the winger spots. You know. And... Goal keep, goalkeeper, goalkeeper is set. Goalkeeper yeah, goalkeepers. set, so that leaves three spots. I would say <laughs> it's between either a winger or a center back. Mm-hmm. If you could add a dominant center back who's also good with the ball at his feet, I think you. I think Inter Miami considers it. But are we but, talking about like
1: a, a DP player or like...
0: Right, now if you're talking DP, then you're probably going winger. You're probably winger. going winger. So that you can have more, even more competition there, thus b- burying Robbie Robinson further on the depth chart. But in all, in, in all seriousness, now you have another starting caliber player there, and now you have one spot between Ariel Lasseter, Robert Taylor, Vasilev, Robbie Robinson, and Emerson Rodriguez. That's one spot for five players to fight for, so you have much more options. You have a lot more depth there. Maybe an outside an outside option would be going for a player in Bryce Duke's position that can give you even more than Bryce Duke. That's possible, and then you could have Bryce Duke come off the bench or be a spot starter here and there. That's a possibility, but I would say probably a winger, given how the team is constructed and made up right now. So you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Okay.
0: Already, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're not—they're not going DP for a left back, and they're not going DP for a center back.
1: I, I would not bring Marcelo to the Miami, mean, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, we hear rumors about Marcelo, you know, but I—I I don't agree. You know, you have McVeigh, and then you have Karen Gibbs. <laughs> I think Marcelo is better than both well, of them, but. Well, but the form of Marcelo. Have you seen Marcelo play lately, though? Well, that's
0: what I'm saying. So, if, but if Marcelo came, and he's going to command a DP DP number, I don't think he'd be a left back. I think he'd be more of a winger. Because of the ball skills that he does have. Yes, at a higher level, he's more of a defender. But I think, given his skill set, I think, in MLS, I think he could be a winner.
1: Garrett Bell is free as well. I mean, I don't know. You posted a picture of Chris Anderson in Madrid, so...
0: No, but he was there because of the meetings that Jorge Mas had. Obviously Uh, with Real Real Zaragoza and... I not know. I know. <laughs> Yay. Strange <laughs> things happen in sports. Strange things happen in sports. But anyway, let's leave it there for the Q&A session. Miguel, give your final thoughts. I will give mine, and we'll wrap up the show after that.
1: Well, Inter-Miami, you know, after his uh, 14 games, they went from less to more, you know, every game. They were playing a lot better, a lot better, a lot better. I feel... Uh, Phil Neville fans starting 11 or most of the starting 11 spots already. Uh, the team is in good form. It was really good for the team to go in the international break on the 7th spot, spot. And that's, you know, everyone is free. Everyone's happy after we saw it. We saw it in the locker room. We saw it in the press conference. We saw it outside the stadium. Everyone was happy. The team is finding a in the playoff spot. And the team is just growing and growing every game. So we'll see what happens after this. You know, June and July is going to be a tough month for Inter-Miami. And they need to play good, and the, as we cover here, home is going to be key for Inter-Miami to qualify for a player spot.
0: Speaking of the locker room, Leandro gonzalez Pires was in there, an Inter-Miami player that's on loan for two seasons at River Plate. Inter- now, yeah. he's on his summer break from the Argentine 1st Division, but he did make an appearance, and he was in the locker room chopping it up with Pe- some Pelegrini of his Pellegrini
1: was, was one in the stadium, as well.
0: Pellegrini was also there. And I have questions as to what happens with Pellegrini. Because his loan is about to expire. Does he return to Inter-Miami? Is he the DP? Because he's a winger. He's a winger. And if they are contractually obligated to bring him back because his loan deal's up and they can't find him another home, is he the winger that they uh, bring back?
1: Frankly, you know more, more than me, obviously. Do you think Phil Noah likes Pellegrini uh,
0: I think he would be open to seeing him again after he got some more minutes still a young player, so that, that season that he's had or that year that he's had in Argentina should have helped him. I think if he comes in, he's another option there on the wing. Will he like him? I think it just depends on his performance levels, how he does on the field, if that comes to pass. But that's all conjecture. It's all hypotheticals. We'll see what happens with Pellegrini and with Inter-Miami. My final thought will be on Inter-Miami too. They got blown out two weeks ago by Orlando City or two weekends ago. They played this past weekend against New York City FC 2. They lost 2 to 1, but several first team players got minutes in that game, including Kieran Gibbs, Ame Mabika, the forgotten Jairo Quinteros, and Emerson Rodriguez. Those were some of the players, the first team players that got minutes in this game. Noah Allen is another one. Quinteros was the most interesting of the bunch because he scored against New York City FC too. He celebrated pretty euphorically to himself but euphorically and I was able to ask him after the game about that celebration and what it meant. He was very diplomatic in his response but he said when you're used to playing and then you're in a situation where you're not playing it's difficult it's a challenge. I'm paraphrasing here but he said it's difficult it's a challenge but obviously, it's more about the bigger picture and the team and the collective, and that he will just be patient and bide his time until his number is called again. And then it's about aprovechando el momento, capitalizing and taking advantage of the moment. So he's a Bolivian international. He probably wants to be playing on a consistent basis. He's used to that. And then right now he's buried deep, deep, deep down that depth chart. Sailor, McVeigh, Low, Mabika. I think they're. I think Phil Neville and this coaching staff. They all rate those players ahead of Jairo Quinteros right now. So where does that leave Jairo Quinteros in terms of his future at Inter Miami? So just something to to keep an eye on as we move forward with the season as well. But that does it for this week's show. Thank you guys so very much once again for listening. We will be back next week for our 100th episode. Yes, that's right. Our centennial mark. Can't believe we're here, but we are. And we will plan some nice things for the special and monumental but for Miguel Paz I am Franco Penizo you have been listening to Miami Total Football Radio and we'll talk to you guys again